Thank you, Darren, for being with us and leading us today in worship and choir and orchestra. Thank you. Choir, the orchestra's not here. Our musicians, you sounded like an orchestra. Y'all are great. Thank you. And uh, Tracy and Trish, thank you for leading us. That was powerful. A powerful expression of, of John's look at the world that we're going to explore today. But before I begin, I wanted to say thank you. I want to bring greetings and wishes of shalom and, and share a little bit about my own journey over these last few weeks as I've finished my third treatment. Many of you have been asking, as we talked a few weeks ago about shalom and about how that comes together in a relationship and how you all, how this church family, is such a critical part of my journey to shalom as my body fights cancer, is out of whack in that sense, and, and how you've come alongside of me and, and my family as we've gone through these chemo treatments and uh, through this journey. I'm halfway through. I've had three out of six treatments, and I feel good to be here today, which is a great day for me. I'm excited to be here. I count it a privilege to be able to come and, and to share the good news of Christ today and, and would rather be nowhere else in the world than right here with you my church family, and my community that's walking with me in Shalom. The, the last PET scan I got was very positive, indicating that the, the chemo is doing its job and the cancer is, is being defeated. And so I give thanks and rejoice to that and thank you as well. Yeah, it's great news. So, three more treatments. Those of you that have been on this journey know that it kind of gets a little tougher each time you go through the, the days afterwards. So, uh, continue with your prayers and encouragement, and that means so much in my journey to healing and for our family as well. Um, another thing I wanted to celebrate today is, is Bible school. I, I hope that you're, you're pray, pray, praying and you're continuing to invite folks to come. We prayed and, and prepared for about 150 kids, and that was the top end. Now, there's a verse in Jeremiah, I think 33.3, it says, Call upon the Lord, and He will show you great and mighty things beyond which you could even imagine. Folks, that's happening here with Vacation Bible School. And when we ask for volunteers, church, that, that means we need volunteers. Now, I know not everyone can do everything at VBS, but we desperately, I think the word came 10 to 15, we desperately need 10 to 15 we plan for 150. I think our registration is 175 right now. And we anticipate that getting very close to 200. And it means that we would, we would hope to not have to ever turn away any children, right? But it means that we don't want to have too many kids and in, in, in not enough groups. And so it means that we desperately need some more folks to come along and say, hey, I can help. I can find a, a place to be involved. So I wanted to, to issue that as an, ex, as an exciting challenge. Church, we prayed, and we continue to pray that God would restore families to be involved and engaged in dynamic ministry and worship and discipleship of children and youth. God is answering that prayer. Will we be faithful and obedient in that responsibility that God has given us? So if you haven't had a chance, please contact Suzette. Please Find your place, your way that you can be involved as Vacation Bible School starts next, a week from Monday. If you haven't turned in your Bibles, I would encourage you to take your Bible. There's few Bibles before you, um, and we're going to look at John 3.16. Now, some of you said, John 3.16, I know what that says. Well, go ahead and turn uh, to your Bibles anyways to that, that passage. John 3.16 is arguably, 
at least in the New Testament, one of the most identifiable and recognizable scriptures in all the New Testament. And I think some might even argue even the Old Testament together with the New Testament. John 3.16 is that Bible verse that summarizes, that encapsulates the message, the story of the New Testament. It's the first or one of the first Bible verses that we learn to memorize and to share. And yet so often as adults, we, we learn things as children and then we don't go back. And we need to learn John 3.16 as a child. But we also need to revisit it and study it and, and mine its depths as adults as well. And too often we, we just quote it off of the top of our heads without really spending time to meditate, reflect, and ponder its truths and its depths. So let's look at John 3.16. And of course, it, it takes place in the context of, of the story of Nicodemus. And I would encourage you to go back and read that. But because of time, I just want us to, to focus on these, these three verses, four verses right around here and explore those this morning. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever, whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has already been judged, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For God so loved the world. This is an absolutely remarkable, incredible statement. Consider the context and the culture in which... In which um, John was writing and sharing this good news in which Jesus broke into the history of the world, a, a, a culture and context in that Greek and Roman world where, where the gods were the adversaries of people. And where even in the Jewish expression of faith, where, where God was oftentimes more characterized by His wrath and His judgment than His love. And so for, God, for John to start and to say, for God so loved the world, it's a remarkable, it's a, a revelational expression that we sometimes take for granted. For God so loved the world. And as we've seen through this powerful scripture reading earlier in the service, John has a lot of harsh things to say about the world. But he begins... He starts with this powerful, powerful truth that God loved the world. God loves the world. So we have to ask the question, well, why does God love the world so much? What is it about, about this world that God loves? Well, I think we just have to go back to the creation story, right? The creation story tells us that after the creation of the world, that God paused, that God stepped back, that God rested, and that in that expression, he, he, he viewed the world and said this, God saw in Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he had made. He saw all the creation. And behold, it was not just good, it was very good. Why did God love the world? It, it was 
very good. God created it, and the world was a wonderful, wonderful place. And God loved this world. Let, let's look at some reasons maybe that God loved the world. Look at this, some of these pictures. The world is a beautiful place. It's a beautiful place of God's creation. And as we get closer, look at the mountains. The mountains are beautiful. You can just imagine God looking at the mountains and going, wow, very good. But if you don't like the mountains, what about the beach? There's my chair. It's waiting for me. And gay, of course. Isn't that beautiful? What about the desert? God's creation is it's beautiful. It's so good. And God loved this world. Well, what about the things that live? What about the creation? The king of the jungle. Isn't that beautiful? God created the world and it was so incredible. It was so good. God loved the world. What about the other end of that, right? Isn't there nothing more lovable and great about life than a litter of puppies? Especially if they're not your own, right? It's like the grandkids, you send them home. God loved the world. Why? Well, he created us. And he created us and formed us and shaped us in families. Generationally to love and to nurture and to care for each other. And yes, families come in, in so many different forms and ways. And as I said earlier, this church family is an incredible part of my life and, and, and my own support and, and journey to Shalom. But God created us because he didn't want us to be alone. That's the one, one thing from creation we get. It wasn't good for man to be alone. So he created us for relationship, for family. And he created us for friends as well. Isn't that a great picture? Can you just see God smiling as he sees us enjoying life with our friends, hanging out in the pools, swimming together with our friends, right? For God so loved the world. And of course, God loves it when we get together and we just celebrate life. Now, Gay questioned me on this one, but I had to include it, right? <laughs> don't, you, don't you think God enjoys just when people get together and celebrate life? Celebrate the events of life, the happenings of life. We cheer together, we celebrate together. Uh, I've, I've been captivated some by the, the World Cup, the World Gathering. Just to enjoy soccer and to, to celebrate life, to celebrate our humanity as, as a people. For God so loved the world, he loves it when we gather and we just celebrate and enjoy life. Because life is not just good, it is very good. For God so loved the world. God created the world and it was so good. God loved the world. But church, something happened. Something happened and the world changed. The world forgot God. John reminds us this in that beautiful prologue, that beautiful first few verses of, of John chapter 1 when he says, Though the world was made through him, God made the world. The world did not know him. The world forgot God. The world became so distracted that it forgot the one that created them. The world forgot. The world went away from God. Sin and darkness came into this world. Sin and darkness came in such a way that it blinded us from the light 
And the truth is that the world grew to love the darkness more than the light. Because our deeds, our works, our lives were filled with evil. This tragic shift of for God so loved the world, I think kind of culminates in John's writings when we, when we turn to 1 John chapter 2. I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1 verses 15 through 17 says this. Do not love the world, but wait a minute, but God loved the world. For, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Do you see in John as we progress in his writings from the gospel to, to the first letter here. Now, instead of the focus being on, for God so loved the world, look at what Scripture says. It says, do not love the world. For all that is in the world, and it describes that, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, these things are not from the Father. These things are not from the One who created the heavens and the earth. But rather, these things are from the world. And then it continues on in verse 17. It says, And the world is passing away, and also its lusts. The world is passing, the world is dying. Yet, God still loves the world. And it's God's love that not only compelled him and, and, and brought him to create the world, but it is God's love that also compelled him to act in such a way to bring life and redemption to the world. So we have to ask the question, how did God love the world? In what manner, in what way did God express his love? Well, the scripture tells us in John three sixteen that God so loved the world that he gave he gifted His only Son, His only begotten Son. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we, we studied 1 Corinthians 13, this love chapter. And what we dis discovered at that point, or were reminded of, is that love is a verb. Love is action. And so God's love can only be expressed through His activity. Through His activity to create, through His activity to redeem, to forgive, and so God loved the world and he saw that the world was in darkness and his love compelled him to activity and to action. Now again, God's love is defined by his character, by his, his grace, his mercy, his love, his justice. His covenant love is described as loving kindness. God is loving kindness and his love is sacrificial and his love is unconditional. So God gave his only son to the world. And John 3, 16, 17, 18, 19 remind us and tell us that God gave his son to the world, not to judge the world, but rather to save the world. Now here's, here's what we need to be reminded of. The world has already been judged. The world is judged because it lives in darkness and because it is repelled by the light of God and of Christ. The world loves the darkness more than it loves the light. The world, get it, the world has already been judged. Jesus didn't come to judge the world. He came to save and to redeem the world. For apart from Christ, the world and each of us are judged and are perishing. 
Again, 1 John 2.17 says the world is perishing. The world is dying. Now this means at least three things. First of all, it means that, that our physical bodies are dying. Whether it's cancer or disease or, or old age or, or tragic accidents that happen that take life, our bodies are dying. This world is passing away. As a result of the sin in this world, these earthen vessels are dying. But, but passing away, perishing also means that, that, that there's more than just death to, than to our physical bodies. There's death to our spirits and our, our souls, our, our hearts and our minds, our emotions are also dying. Sin has corrupted and brought death into our life, our relationships when sin gets in the way, our relationships are dying, right? We talk about broken relationship. What we mean by a broken relationship is, is when sin enters into our relationships and it causes those relationships to die. And we are dying spiritually. We are dying emotionally and relationally in so many different ways because the world is passing away. And of course... To say that the world is passing away also has implications for eternity. That we are dying and perishing for eternity apart from God. We call that, that place, that state of dying eternally apart from God, hell. And there's powerful, powerful descriptions of, of what that place is like. And the scripture tells us that those in the world are perishing and dying. And that death will go beyond the physical death. Will go beyond the spiritual death of this life. And will take place eternally in separation apart from God. The world is passing away. But church, God loves the world. And God made a way of escape from the guilt, from the death, from the judgment of this world. And that provision was made through His Son. Through His Son who believed in the Father. A Son who believed with His full heart. With His full mind. And with His full body. When Jesus came to the earth, He believed with all that He was. And He gave up everything that He was. His mind, His heart, His body. He believed totally and fully and completely and trusted in the Father. And gave Himself up. And that is the provision that God has made. So that now, in Romans 8, 1 says it best. Now... Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus made the way. But church, once again, this is not the end of God's gracious gifts of love and of His work of salvation. The giving of the Son was only the beginning. The Son was not the only way that God so loved the world. Turn with me to John chapter 16. I hope that you'll make this connection today if you've never made this connection before. Because John 3.16 does not stand on its own. Well, let me finish that thought before you throw rocks. John 3.16 doesn't stand on its own. God's love did not stop when He gave His Son. John 16 tells us how that love continued to be expressed and given. Let me catch up with you. John 16. It comes from the words of Christ, of the Son. Look at verse 8. 
And when he comes, well, who's he? He's the helper. He is the Spirit of God. Look at this. When the Spirit of God comes, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, for God so loved the world that he also gave his Spirit. Now look at the work of the Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, the Spirit will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin... Because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Did you see that? God's love is manifested in two powerful ways. First, through the giving of the Son. And the work of the Son was salvation. The work of the Son was eternal life. But God's giving continued through the Spirit. And the work of the Spirit is conviction. Now follow me here. The work of the Spirit is shining the light into the darkness of our lives and of our world. The Holy Spirit helps us. The Holy Spirit is the helper because the Holy Spirit is the one who is to convince us, convict us. I love this word convince, to convince us of the truth. How do you react when, when maybe you, you've been in a dark place, maybe you've been asleep and someone comes in and, and turns on the light really quick? Oh, turn that light out, right? Because the light can be very uncomfortable. We, we, can, we can be repelled by the light at times, right? Because we're so comfortable and so used to the darkness. And that's what happened when Christ came. The light came into the world and our, our reaction was, oh, no, turn the light off. But just as we discover in this life, we can't function and live if it's pure and total darkness. We have to have light. And so as we initially recoil from the brightness of the light, we become used to it and it becomes a part of our lives. And it becomes the way in which we function and live each and every day. We need the light to live. The Holy Spirit shines the light, convicts us, the Holy Spirit convinces us of the truth concerning sin. Because we live in the darkness, we do not believe and, and trust and obey God. We live in darkness. We live amongst evil. We miss the mark. We sin. And it's the Spirit of God that comes that convinces us of the sin in our lives and of our world. But the Holy Spirit also convinces us of righteousness. We look at, we look at the life of Christ that he was honored, he was lifted up by, by the Father and glorified. And so we look at the life of Christ and his righteousness, and, and as we're in the light, we're drawn to that. And we say, wow, the Son is the righteous one, and we're compelled and called to live and to follow after him. It's the Spirit of God that, that convinces us of that righteousness. And the third thing is that the Spirit of God convinces us that there will be a judgment and that the ruler of this world will be judged, that justice will come, and all those that are in the world will experience that same justice and judgment. And it's the Holy Spirit that comes that convicts us, that convinces us of our own sin, of the need to be righteous and to pursue Christ, and that judgment will come. We, we know that deep within, don't we? That there's just things in our world that aren't right, they're not just, and that there will come a day when things are all made right. That's the work of the Spirit of God 
to convince us that judgment is coming. The conviction and the convincing of the Spirit of God is an act of grace and mercy. Did you catch that? Conviction, convincing is an act of God's love. It's an act of His grace. It's an act of His mercy because it creates an awareness of the truth around us. It creates an awareness of the need of the light for our lives. But let me offer this word of warning and caution. For you see, apart from the Spirit of God, who is our helper, whose conviction is an act and gift of grace and mercy, apart from the Spirit of God, conviction can be a ruthless form of guilt, oppression, and manipulation. And tragically, the world, and yes, even the church, uses conviction not to bring about life, not to bring about redemption and hope and love. The world and even people that claim God use conviction for the purposes of death and destruction and tearing down. The church, the presence of the Spirit of God in our lives is that which brings us before God under, con under conviction. And without the Spirit of God, we would be unaware of our need for eternal life, of our need for God's provision through His Son. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, and He gave His Spirit that whoever believes in the Son would not perish but have eternal life. So the question we must ask now is, who will not perish? Who will have eternal life? Whoever believes in Him. 1 John says it again this way in chapter 5, verse 5. Who then overcomes the world? Who is redeemed and saved from the world? The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Belief, believes. We, we sang about that. I believe. But, but church, we need to be reminded that belief is more than just an, an intellectual assent to the truth. James really messes us up in chapter 2 when he says, well, even the demons believe. And they shudder. Folks, we have demons that believe and shudder. We have people that don't even believe and shudder. So this belief is more than just an assent to the facts and the, the truths of life. It goes much deeper. For you see, this kind of belief that we're talking about, in church, I believe our churches are filled with people who believe the facts about Jesus and think that that's all they need to do. But it's more than just believing the truth and the facts. This kind of belief encompasses trust, loyalty, faithfulness, obedience. Remember when we were talking about love? We said those that love God do what? They obey Him. To believe means to, yes, to, to, to affirm the facts, the truths, but it also means to love God in such a way that you, you obey Him, you're loyal to Him. You committed your life to trust in Him as the Lord of your life. I love this definition by N.T. Wright. He calls it believing obedience. Believing, allowing us to make some, some uh, 
changes here. Believing love, right? Love is obedience. Believing obedience is the full-hearted, full-person response of loyalty to the message of Jesus. Full-hearted, full-person. Your mind, your body, your soul, your, your heart. Loyalty means trust, faith, obedience. Church, do you believe? Do you believe in this way? Do you believe in the full-hearted, full-person response of love and obedience? Loyalty to Christ Jesus. Have you given yourself to Him in this way? Have you moved beyond just an understanding of the facts to this kind of belief and trust? A loyalty that's demonstrated through love and obedience. For those who believe, the gift is eternal life. Eternal life must at least mean experiencing resurrection in, in its foreshadowed forms here in this life. Of healing, of, of reconciliation, of new hope and new opportunities of second chance. Certainly it means that, but it also means that as we look to the future, that there is an eternity of life and renewal and abundance with God. Have you believed in Jesus? Have you responded to God's gift of love? Have you received His gift of eternal life? Or if you were honest today, would you say, I'm, I'm perishing. I'm passing away. I'm, I'm dying. Maybe today the Holy Spirit is convincing you of your sin. Convincing you that, that you've already been judged as part of the world. And that life awaits you. Life awaits all those who will believe. The world has been captivated this last few days about a soccer team in Thailand trapped in a cave. Can you imagine? Have you been at the bottom of a cave when they turned the lights out? There is no light, right? They were there for 10 days. You know how they discovered they were gone? They were missing? They left all their stuff on the outside of the cave. They, they were just going to run in. The, the, the initiation ritual for, that, for young boys was to run in, touch the end of the cave, and run back. Ten days sitting on a ledge. Total, complete darkness. They were condemned to death in the darkness unless someone came and found them. Here's a picture of the light, those first divers. And we've heard the stories of their rescue and how they came to find safety and how they came to find new life. But to be rescued, these boys had to have believing obedience in the divers. They had to put their complete trust and faith in them. They had to learn how to put this gear on, how to, how to put fins on, how to swim, and how to trust and have complete obedient confidence and faith in their divers to navigate the way out of the cave. The option to sit there was not an option because they didn't know what the future, water, flooding, and etc. Would, would be. These boys in their coach sat in a dark cave condemned to death. They knew that unless someone came and found them, they would perish. Likewise, our world is like a cave in darkness condemned to death. And unless someone comes to save us, the world will perish in its darkness 
And church, what we have discovered and learned today is that that someone has come, that someone has brought life and light into the darkness of the world, and now the Spirit works to convince us that we are in the darkness and that we need light, and that we need to respond obediently to find rescue and help in life. For all who believe will find eternal life. Let's pray.